said good morning. And, uh, we enjoyed that singing. You guys did a great job this morning with that. And we appreciate being here. And uh, they were singing about um, Jesus's love, and it took me back to you know some of the stuff Aaron uh, said Sunday night. Uh, no, no greater love. I ain't gonna be able to quote that verse, but uh, it slipped my mind there. But uh, but uh, we appreciate the Lord uh, and the love He has for us and how good He is to us. And uh, you know, uh, as close as we are with family and friends, uh, nobody's closer than Him, and nobody cares more about us than He does, and uh, nobody can do more than what He can do for us. And we appreciate. Um, just uh, our salvation and knowing the Lord and being able to feel that love. It's, there's there's nothing like it. There's, that, that's the best that this world has for us. Um, if, and if you don't have that, I pray that you find it as soon as uh, God will speak to you and uh, give you that opportunity. But uh, We appreciate being here. Looking forward to having a good day. And uh, I'm asking Brother uh, uh, Dave Money. He dismisses Sunday school. Good to see everybody this morning. Hustle up there, Todd. <laughs> All right. We are going to be starting in, uh, starting today, we're going to be in Isaiah for the next four weeks. And uh, four lessons in Isaiah. Today, the name of the lesson that they give it in the Sunday school quarterly is God foretells destruction. And of course, Isaiah was a prophet, and, and the entire book is all prophecy, things that are looking forward to that are going to happen. Uh, and of course, he foretells in some great detail, and that isn't in our lesson today, but he foretells about Christ coming and, and some things that are going to happen there. Uh, but a lot of his prophecy is about uh, the fall uh, of Israel, 
and into uh, the captivity and Bab uh, the Babylonians, and then what's going to happen uh, to bring Israel back out of that and how the Babylonians will fall. So today's, uh, we're going to be in the 47th chapter, uh, and uh, it's foretelling the destruction of uh, Babylon. And uh, so we'll, we'll get into this. Um, so Isaiah is prophesying, and he's, he's writing uh, this, uh, you know, for anybody that wants to, to read it. Uh, but he is foretelling in this chapter what's going to happen uh, to Babylon. And it's way down the road, but, boy, he nails it, uh, you know, right, right on. So let's talk about the timeline a little bit. I, th I always think that's important. Uh, Isaiah lived in in the 700 bc category so that's the 8th century bc and he wrote uh, specifically from approximately 740 bc to 701 bc you say okay well that's that's interesting so what does that have to do with it so if you remember last uh it's been some months ago but we taught about uh, the fall of israel when it was overcome and Nebuchadnezzar came in and, and conquered them and that fall all happened, that takes place in approximately 597 B.C. And then the temple is destroyed about eight, maybe eight or ten years after that. So this is about 150 years, give or take, uh, before Israel is even going to fall. And then another 70 years from that time point until they're brought uh, out of captivity and allowed to come back. And so uh, maybe 200, 220 years prior to this actually happening, Isaiah is writing this. So it's just that's always kind of interesting to me. So it's a rather short lesson today, but I desire your prayers and as always uh, any comments that you have. So Isaiah 47, we're going to start in chapter 10, I'm sorry, in verse 10, uh, and uh, we'll just kind of go down through these. For thou, and he's writing uh, as if he's writing this directly to uh, the Babylonians. For thou hast trusted in thy wickedness, thou hast said, none seeth me. So he's saying, You've trusted in your own self and your own wickedness, and you've got this attitude that nobody really knows what I'm doing. I'm getting away with this. There's no repercussion for what, what we're doing. And certainly if you look at the Babylonian conquest of Israel, uh, that certainly uh, is the way that they acted. Thy wisdom and thy knowledge, it hath perverted thee. And thou hast said in thine heart, I am and none else beside me. So here you, you kind of see what he's telling them. Uh, you're smart, but you've let your wisdom and your wickedness pervert your thoughts, and you don't think that there's a day of reckoning coming for you. And that's, that's where they were. Uh, you know, there's a scripture, pride goeth before the fall, uh, and... Uh, heard that but and we've all seen that 
in our individual lives or in our kids' lives or in other people. Uh, sometimes people get to thinking that they're above everybody else or, you know, they can't be touched. Well, the Lord can touch everybody. Uh, the Lord uh, can certainly uh, put you in, in the spot that he wants you. And so uh, that's where that we're at here. Uh, he's telling them. That, and it's interesting, 200, 220 years early, but he's writing it like it's happening today. I mean, this this prophecy that the Lord gave him, he was sure of it. So you can be sure if God tells you something, whether in Scripture or if he tells you something directly to you, you can be sure that's going to happen. Even if it's years down the road, if God tells you something, you can be sure that that's going to happen. So the day that Isaiah wrote this, the folks of Babylon, it was just a city at this point. It wasn't even a nation. It was just a city. It was a thriving city. It was just a city. They weren't paying any attention, I don't think, to what Isaiah was writing. But if they had been, they could have been sure right then that this was coming. So, all right, any comments before we move on to the next verse? Therefore shall evil come upon thee. Thou shalt not know from whence it riseth, and mischief shall fall upon thee. Thou shalt not be able to put it off, and desolation shall come upon thee suddenly, which thou shalt not know. So he's telling them, it's going to happen, it's going to be a surprise, but your day's coming. Your time's fixed, your, your date is set, it's happening. And so the Lord, with each of us, as saved people, he will, if we get away from his, you know, now he was writing this to Babylon, which is the world, but for us, if we get away from his uh, will and don't follow him, there's a time set out there, and we're all going to have a price to pay for that. Another way to look at it is, as lost people, there's a time set for each of us, and we get our opportunity to be saved. But there's a time and a, and a date fixed. And if we go past that date, there's a consequence to pay for that eternally for our soul. So you can, you know, you can apply this uh, several different ways. But this specifically being applied uh, to the enemy uh, of the church. And so, uh, you know, and he, boy, he puts it, puts it right on them. Uh, you're not going to know where it comes from. You're not going to know how it's coming. But desolation is coming, uh, and you're going to have you've got a price to pay. So, verse twelve: Stand now with thine enchantments, and with the multitude of thy sorceries, wherein thou hast labored from thy youth. If thou be thou, shalt be able to profit. If so, be thou mayest prevail. So what he's telling them is, you haven't been trusting in God. You've been looking at en enchantments and sorceries and witchcraft. And, and we got on witchcraft a little bit last week. 
but you've been trusting in all of these other things since you were, you know, for a long time, since really since the beginning of this city and as it grew, that's kind of where their, where their focus was at. And he's saying, see what that'll do for you now. Uh, we got on this, maybe it was last week, I don't remember the last time I taught, uh, it was either last week or, or a few weeks ago, but in our world today, there's this philosophy that goes, it's, it's being spread, it's pretty prevalent, that everybody's opinion is their truth, all right? And you guys have all probably heard that if you look at the news or read anything. So, you know, if I've got an opinion, that's my truth, and if Mike here's got an opinion, that's truth, and Neil's got one, that's his truth. Well, that's malarkey. I mean, it just, it, 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 it's just not accurate. We've all got opinions, and that's our opinion. And I'm entitled to my opinion, and mine's wrong. You can ask Becky occasionally. Every once in a while, I'll miss it on something. Not very often, but every once in a while. But my opinion, just because it's my opinion, doesn't make it my truth. It either There is truth, and there's false. And it either is true or it's not, regardless of your opinion. Your opinion can be completely opposite. This is one of those instances where Babylon truly believed in their enchantments and their sorcerers. Okay? I think they really believed that was what they should be focusing on and what they should, but they were dead wrong. All right? And in this hour, it's not going to help them. Okay? So, one of the things I wanted to look at a little bit, and we'll take a little bit of time right here, is a couple of other instances of some pretty spectacular sorcery that took place in the Bible. All right? There's sorcery in the Bible? Think? Well, let's look and see. Because there's a couple of instances that are pretty spectacular. Um, the world will look for things that, you know, is is kind of spectacular something that's got something to it and was there anything to any of this sorcery well let's look at a couple of them we're going to turn over into samuel first samuel chapter 28 we're going to start in verse 7. now this is saul when saul was king and saul had i want you to understand saul had for a while he had gone back and he had put out a decree that uh, sorcerers and enchanters and uh, you know soothsayers whatever term witches you shouldn't follow those and if they found any they were to be put to death which was pursuant to the old law um, but here uh, in verse 6 it says and when Saul inquired of the Lord the Lord answered him not neither by dreams nor Urim nor by prophets. So Saul was contrary to God's will. He had he had done some things that he wasn't supposed to. We don't want I don't have time to get into all that today, but Saul had not followed God's will and God had cut him off. It was silence. Saul's in this battle trying to lead trying to lead his army and he's got nothing. It's just, you know, that old song, The Sound of Silence. Uh, you know, he's, he's asking, but he's not getting anything back. 
uh, and I used this example some weeks ago when I was teaching about praying, and sometimes I pray, and it, it doesn't even get as high as the ceiling. It just kind of bounces right back to me. That's where Saul was at. So if we're in that spot, what should we do? Well, Jay, how about we go and get the newspaper and look up and see what our horoscope says for today, and we put all of our trust in that. Now, I mean, that's kind of silly. I mean, to me, that's silly. But there are people that actually still today, they're going to re- they, they want to follow that horoscope. Now, I, I got to tell you, I have read my horoscope a few times because I think it's kind of funny. I mean, I have read them. You know, they used to put them in the newspaper. I don't know if they still do. But I've read that a couple of times. I'm like, man, way that sounds, I better get back in bed, you know. But I didn't. But, I mean, there's people that actually put faith in the way the stars or the planets are aligned and what should I do or not do today you know if you're really putting your confidence in that you're misplacing your confidence it should not be in your horoscope or how the planets are aligned all right so but so what do you think Saul should have done here Anything, is, does Saul have a good move? He's contrary to God's will, and he's prayed, and he's got nothing. So what's Saul's move? What do you think? Pen. I mean, when I've been in that spot, now this is easier said than done, okay? So I'm not, I don't want you to think I'm... You know, looking at Saul and going, boy, look how, you know, because, boy, been in a similar spot. Uh, But when you're at that place, stay right there and just keep digging until you get a hold of the Lord. Uh, I think it was uh, Albert Smith that preached once, if you don't have an impression from the Lord of which direction to move, stand still. Because any direction you move is going to be wrong if God isn't directing that move. Maybe he just wants you to stand right there. Okay. That's what Saul, Saul should have just dug in right there wherever he was at and repented and waited on the Lord. So what does he do? Then saith Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her, And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit in Endor. A witch is what he's asking for. He said, Find me a witch so I can go to, because the Lord isn't answering me, and I want to go talk to some, this familiar spirit is somebody that, uh, it's kind of be like a seance. I mean, we've all seen that on TV where they get around and they, like some smoke goes up and they act like they're calling on, spirit of somebody that's dead you know there's been a couple of movies that kind of made fun of that and again I you know I kind of chuckle at that but if you read on down here in Samuel you'll find that this woman conjures up something conjures up a spirit that Saul talks to and I've heard people that I have a lot of confidence in 
take two different approaches to this. One was it was all a ruse, and she conjured up something and, and, and tricked him. All right, and that very well could be. I, I don't know. And I've heard other people say, well, no, she really was able to conjure up this spirit, and it came back and, and, and communicated with Saul. I, I just don't know. But I'm telling you, this was some pretty interesting sorcery because Saul believed it, whether it was an actual spirit or it was a trick. And I kind of lean towards it was a trick, but I, I'm being honest, I don't know. But he believed it, so that's some pretty interesting sorcery. And he was certainly not where he was supposed to be. I mean, the information he got wasn't helpful to him. All right. So there's one place where sorcery occurs in the Old Testament. Let's look back. I want to look one more place. Let's look on back into... Does anybody have any comments about that before I go on? Let's look back into Exodus chapter 7. Verse 10. Now this is Moses and Aaron, and they're getting ready to go before Pharaoh, okay? And Aaron's got a rod, and we all, we've all heard about this rod, and, and Aaron's rod wasn't sorcery. It was God-inspired. God made Aaron's rod do what it did. Uh, but let's read this. Man, this is this has always astonished me, this, this uh, depiction here. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh... And they did as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. So he's got this rod, and he casts it down, and God transforms this rod into a serpent. So that's God. Okay, now let's look at what the sorcerers do here. Then Pharaoh called upon his wise men and his sorcerers. And the magicians of Egypt. All right. They also did in a like manner with their enchantments. So they they saw what's going on here and they said, Well, okay, now listen. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. That's man, I'm telling you what, that's that's astonishing to me. That these guys get called in and Pharaoh goes, Look. Aaron cast down his rod and turned it into a serpent. You going to be outdone? And they got together and talked for a little bit, and they cast their rods down, and they turned into a serpent. So sorcery must be just as good as God then, right? Well, let's read the rest of this verse. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. How about that? And they thought they had something. And they, they did have something. But it didn't measure up to what Aaron's rod would do. So they cast their rods down and it turns into a serpent. I would have been leaving there, I can tell you that. <laughs> you know, man, they're casting down sticks and turning them into snakes. I'm getting out of that country. But Aaron's rod devours the rods that they cast down that turned into serpents. There's real power with God. The world will paint you a picture 
through sorcery or enchantments or whatever magic i mean that's the terms that they're using here the world can paint you a picture that looks just as good as what god has but upon closer examination god has got a lot more power and what he's got will devour what the world presents to you so you got to be careful having your faith in that false rod that got cast down that really isn't a serpent it looked like a serpent moved like a serpent and you know boy to me i would have been scared but not a serpent so here's just a couple of examples of sorcery that i thought were were pretty interesting in the old testament and that's what babylon here that that isaiah is talking to him about same type of thing same you know same not the same exact people because obviously these other incidents were years before but the same philosophy be careful what you hook your wagon to as the old saying goes because you may hook it to something that looks right but upon closer examination it's going to fall so does anybody have any comments uh, on any of that before we move on scripture that talks about men turning their hearts toward cunningly devised fables and uh, boy it seems to me that we're in, in a time where that's happening I mean because you just hear something different ever you know it seems like every week you know, people are talking about this or talking about that it's supposed to be you know church or supposed to be about God but it, it's seems pretty weak it's it sounds to me like a cunningly devised fable and that will satisfy there's a little bit of satisfaction in that of well did you you know well i go to church i went and i like you said i went i was there and i put my money in and i listened and you know but it uh it looks an awful lot like the real thing but it's it's like this serpent that got swallowed up it looks like the real thing, but it's not real. So appreciate the comment. Anybody else?
there's definitely, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, I read an article actually this morning after I, I kind of got the Sunday school lesson in my mind the way I wanted it. I, was, I looked at a couple of headlines and there was an article, and I won't get into the details of it, but to another denomination that was having all kinds of problems. Uh, and according to the article, it sounds like that denomination is getting ready to split into two different groups. And the split is really all about things that, it's my opinion now, but if they were following God's word, they wouldn't be having that split. Uh, God's word and what he, the guidelines that he gives us to live by, and we go over this all the time, but they're not to punish us, but they're to try to help us uh, and keep this life in a place where we can properly serve him and be happy. And we bring so much upon ourselves by not following that. And uh, you know, it, it's sad. It, it's exactly where the children of Israel got to and they kept, they would turn back for a short season and then they would turn back away from God. And the prophets kept saying, we're going to have a big problem here. We're going to have a big problem here. If you look, and if you look at our country today, and, and the things that are going on in our country that are approved and called acceptable by our government, it's um, you know, I I like to think of the United States as a Christian country, but there's an awful lot of ungodly things that are now sanctioned by our our government. Um, that's a scary thing. I don't know if it's scary to anybody else. You know, since I've been a boy, I've heard, well, the United States, you know, God's country and, and you know, Christian country and God has, has blessed us. And I believe that's all true. Uh, but that doesn't mean that that will go on forever. And, and it may not go on forever. I mean, if we look in the Bible and we look historically countries get to a place and are doing things that our country is now accepting their time has been pretty short and so I hope that doesn't happen I love our country and I love the freedoms that we have but uh, there are sure things that go on that are troubling
appreciate that. Anybody else? You know, I read a book once talking about the removal of God from our society, and uh, I won't say that that started in the late '60s or early '70s, but there were certainly there was a there were several things that happened right there, uh, and you know, one of them. Removal of prayer from schools, um, and, and and so, but the the book that I read talked about that with each of us, and, and we understand this with our soul, but that with each of us, that we really have a spot that is like a hole inside of us, and that can only be filled up with God. Now, man will attempt to fill it up with a lot of other things. It doesn't really fill that hole, but uh, it maybe uh, appeases the conscious a little bit. Uh, but if we remove God, you know, from the schools and from children's lives, and what kind of result should we expect over time? And, you know, you look at the things that are going on in the world, and I'm not saying that there wasn't sin and there wasn't problems before the late 60s or early 70s. Certainly there were. Um, but I think if you look at a cause and effect that we would expect as Christians, if you remove God from the lives of children on a daily basis, what's going to fill that hole? Well, nothing is going to fill that hole. Now, I'm just talking about the lives of people. I'm not talking about the soul of salvation. I, you know, maybe it did happen. I hope it did. I don't know that, that saying a prayer at the beginning of the school day and, and, and learning the Ten Commandments in school ever saved anybody. I believe that takes salvation for or the gospel for that to happen. But it certainly sets a, a moral standard that people can live by. And as that moral standard decays, I think it gets harder and harder to reach the souls of our people. And it's like you were talking about, it gets harder to get people to want to come to church. Uh, their, their, their world view has turned completely away from that, and they believe in ungodly things. If you get wrapped up in something that's ungodly, and that's where your whole life is at, and you go, well, would you come to church? Well, they don't believe in that over there at that church. If I go there, they're going to tell me that I'm wrong or what I think is, is wrong, so no, I'm not going to go there. It gets harder to get those people in the door and then harder to reach them. But, so let's, I appreciate all of the comments. Thank you for those. We've got a few minutes left. Let's get back uh, here. Verse 13. Thou art wearied in the multitude of thy counsels. So he's telling Babylon here, 
you've talked to sorcerers and, and magicians and you've talked to them all and they're not able to help you in this day they're not able to tell you anything that's going to benefit you and you're now wearied from that see God's counsel if we'll follow it will bring us peace but the world's counsel if you follow it it's going to weary you ultimately you're going to you're not going to be have a peace about it let now the astrologers and stargazers and the monthly prognosticators stand up and save thee from these things that shall come upon thee not going to happen all right can't read your horoscope and, and get this one figured out all right behold they shall be stubble for the fire shall burn them they shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame there shall not be a coal to warm at nor fire to sit before it so all of their advice and everything that that these sorcerers and magicians and everything that they've got not not even going to create enough fire to warm yourself by there's no comfort at all is what he's saying from what they're telling you all right if you want comfort the god of all comfort i love that over in corinthians if you want comfort real comfort not just a band-aid you know on a compound fracture but real comfort something that's going to heal that up got to go to god thus shall they be unto thee with whom thou hast labored even thy merchants from thy youth they shall wonder every one of to his quarter none shall save thee so and i think this is probably accurate uh, but babylon was a city and it had a lot of merchants that would come there and trade it was it was kind of an uh, crossroads for people to come bring things sell things buy things trade that sort of thing and they had a lot of them and, and probably they gained some uh, some comfort by thinking well our economy's doing really good and everything's fine and uh, but he's even saying here even your economy nothing's going to save you from what's coming and certainly we all feel better naturally when our economy's doing better and and more people have got jobs and we're able you know to do things but the economy from a dollar standpoint of what's going on outside here isn't really what should give us peace or comfort uh you know the economy could be real bad outside there i hope it you know and it, it doesn't look great right now but I, I want it to be good but even if it's terrible out there if our hearts are are in tune with God then we can have peace uh, and but he's telling the Babylonians here in a very uh, descriptive uh, prophecy what's going to happen to them and and it and it does happen to them I know we've gone through that uh, Jeremiah prophesied about 75 or 100 years after Isaiah and told some of the same things the last thing I wanted to get at, and then if anybody's got any questions, we can get to those. But uh, I might have lost my mark. I think I took it out. Give me just a minute. In Isaiah, in the 45th chapter, now this is remarkable to me. All right. We all know that Nebuchadnezzar led Babylon and took over, conquered, conquered Israel. And then later 
the Babylonians were conquered by a king named Cyrus. All right, so this is approximately 200 years before that happens. Chapter 45, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden. Isaiah prophesied that a man named Cyrus was going to come and inflict this upon the Babylonians approximately 200 years before it happened. Now, if you read some of the commentaries, I don't know if any of you do or not, there are some of them that will try to tell you that the book of Isaiah must have been modified or updated later after Cyrus 